Welcome to the Mortis and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number 15. I'm Mike. And I'm Joshua. And I'm Grace. Ah. Who is this? Grace. <laughs> we have some updates yeah. for everyone, yeah. including who is Grace and what is she doing here? Yeah, exactly. So Grace is a family friend of ours. Uh, my wife and I have known her for a little while here, and we uh, need some help getting ourselves organized because we ain't. <laughs> and, and Grace is. Correct. So, uh, so we've hired Grace on uh, to do administrative stuff, um, and she is pumped about uh, woodworking and blacksmithing and stuff. So as we're uh, going down all these rabbit holes, she's excited uh, to join us on our journey. So mm-hmm. uh, do you want to say hi and tell yeah. us a little bit about you? Yes, absolutely. Thanks for uh, having me. I am Grace and so excited, as Joshua said, to be here and to be a part of all of this. It's been quite a whirlwind since I started, um, but I'm just loving it. It's not, it's not <laughs> trial by fire. Yeah, right? It's yeah. not normally like that, but yeah. No, I started it's been a, a busy very crazy summer. time. Yeah. <laughs> So a little bit about me. Um, I am a mom of two little lovely humans, and uh, I have a a wonderful husband as well, and love the outdoors, love um, soaking up all of this new stuff. I've been, uh, as as Joshua said, I'm really excited to learn more about woodworking and get my hands in that, and um, have wanted to get into blacksmithing for a long time, so um, really kind of an incredible entry here as it lines up with who I am and my interests so nice yeah and grace is also doing our customer service yes yeah so if you email us uh, yeah this is the grace who is responding to you yeah 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 so this summer as as we said has been very busy um uh, most recently issue seven has gone out into the world so if you are a subscriber or purchase issue seven you have it in your hands or you should if you haven't received it, you should write Grace an email. Yes, she'll reach take out care to of me. that for you. <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah. So it, issue seven was, um, you know, as always, a labor of love, and uh, we really enjoyed putting it together. We have a, a few, just well, a few. All the articles are—they're just really great and really fun to put together and work with the authors with. Um, there are a few that uh, you know jump out at me as being particularly. Uh, noteworthy and interesting um in our last podcast which was some time ago right before the summer was our most recent podcast yeah uh, we dropped a few (laughs) hints throughout that you may have to go back and re-listen to to pick up on them but uh the hints were about shaker furniture yeah um we had uh come back from uh, the sabbath day lake shaker community and we had examined a bunch of furniture down there and uh we, um, brother Arnold, who's uh, one of the three remaining shakers in the world, wrote an article for us about shaker craftsmanship. Yeah. And so that was an amazing and eye-opening thing to look at, at that furniture, see how it was made, and see the fact that it is pre-industrial furniture. Mm. It all shows, you know, the tool marks and uh, the, the, the fingerprints left. You know, this is not some otherworldly perfection achieved the, the furniture is beautiful and it's um, it's got the you know the amazing shaker form to it which is not minimalist or simple but it is a very elegant form mm-hmm. uh, but seeing on the undersides and everything else um, how it looks just like regular pre-industrial furniture what we're familiar with is really 
a cool thing. Yeah, and yeah, so like for that's been on my uh, long term. We, we must do an article about Shaker Furniture because uh, the first time I saw Shaker Furniture in person was at the Winter Tour Museum, um, and I saw it from a distance and said, "Oh yeah, it's lovely Shaker stuff. So pristine, perfect. so beautiful, yeah. perfect." Um, because that's what people said about that's what made Shaker Furniture unique is that it was so pristine and precise. Um, and I got up close and I said, "Hey, wait a minute! What are all these you know these tool marks and everything mm. on the underside? It's pretty rough, just like all the other stuff." And I mentioned it to um, the scholar that I was with at the time, and he said he looked at me and he said, "You know, it is pre-industrial <laughs> furniture." Yeah. <laughs> so I said, "Oh my goodness, the stuff that woodworkers are passing around is this is." you know shakers were unique because they were celibate right right <laughs> for some reason that's relevant to furniture making um yeah. and that they were this was a religious uh experience their furniture making was worship uh therefore they didn't leave any tool marks behind right that's yeah. just simply not true at yeah. all so um when we went to the sabbath day like community and talked with brother arnold it was interesting because that was sort of a burden in his heart he was saying Nobody asks us yeah. what our furniture is like the, or the, what our the best what our beliefs and are about the most beautiful shaker furniture is carried around to different shows and things like that. Yeah. And he said there's a lot of shaker furniture that just didn't work. It was yeah. clunky, it was funny, but that is all part of what shaker furniture was and yeah. and should be considered when you look at the whole of this um, furniture style. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the philosophy behind it. So uh, that was a lot of fun really enjoyable yeah but uh but like the i think the theme that tied the whole issue together um there are always like these these threads of themes that come through each issue but this one seemed to be the most cohesive i thought mm, yeah um and it was this this uh peter lamb uh we interviewed peter lamb uh who is a blacksmith woodworker all-around craftsman um very very skilled he had a reputation uh, before we met him people said oh you don't know peter lamb you gotta know peter yeah um and we talked with him and the way he put his whole vision for craftsmanship is he described it as a partnership with nature um and it's not about um you know sort of this industrial dominance taking machines to dominate a natural material and make it conform to what we think it should be but to have that interaction that interplay between the natural material and the artisan, um, and that's kind of his vision. And we saw that pop up over and over in all of the different articles. I wrote about David Pye and the workmanship of risk. Um, Jared Dahl talked about the new wood culture. Um, and so all those kinds of things, you know, are kind of pointing at it's sort of a, uh, an alternative to industrial mindset and, and machine uh, precision. So um, this nature theme really came strong. And uh, I think this, from my experience, this has been... Uh, the issue I think we've gotten most feedback from about people yeah, writing us I saying, oh, wow, this true. is the best issue. And I really felt that way, um, that it was just so cohesive. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I love it when that works out like that. Yeah, <laughs> I really enjoyed the relationship to nature piece. That, yeah. that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Peter was great to work yeah. with and great to get to know. And we'll, we'll be chatting with him more in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... Grace got to go to her first packing party did. with issue seven, uh, as each issue up so far up to this point, um, each issue has been sent out to the world by a team of volunteers. Um, we all get together for a couple days of wrapping and, um, stuffing the magazine into mailers and mm-hmm. loading it into a truck. And, and, uh, 
it's usually feels like a big whirlwind event. And <laughs> this summer, it didn't feel that way. Yeah, we were laughing. Other things that were going on yeah. this summer, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, thoughts on your yeah. thoughts on the packing party? It, I thought it was incredible. I mean, I'm really grateful to have come on board and be able to experience that um, since it is going away after yeah. the next issue. Right. Um, I just the biggest thing to me was just the the camaraderie in the room. That's what stands out to me the most is just how everyone was working together and it was just this smooth, everybody was chatting and having a great time, but really, really quickly getting through. Yeah, super quickly. Yeah, yeah. so fast. It's the most and efficient it just, that we've done, the most magazines we've ever wrapped. So Yeah, it was uh, really awesome. And then just the fun after the fact, it's just, just this big camaraderie. That's the thing that stands out to me most was yeah. just the way that people connected. and. Yeah, exactly. And that that's great. We... Um, that's why we find that event so special. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, almost the packaging of the, the magazines is a necessity, but it's almost secondary to all that. And uh, as as Grace just mentioned, um, and as I mentioned, every packing party we're doing more and more magazines, and yeah. pretty soon it will be an unsustainable thing for a team of volunteers. Yeah. And so yeah, we have thirty some people, well, thirty yeah. people for two days straight, yeah, wrapping, and we've. We're very close to our capacity. Yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> we are we are so. looking at um, the future and other options and keeping the the values of the packing party while while changing the event so that we're not just gathered to try and wrap as many magazines as possible. But we're gonna we're gonna be shifting some things around soon and we are excited about the future of that yeah. and that event um, and uh, what's in store. So stay tuned for that. We'll have more information soon. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I think we're just focused on with that is um, that camaraderie, that working side by side with other people that was so valuable. Um, And so we're, you know, putting our heads together to try to figure out um, how can we do more of that? Mm. Um, And the way that we did it this year, we started our first uh, workshop with our, we had six students in for a week um, working with us. Um, and it was cool. I really especially appreciated the fact that it was a work exchange. Yes. So instead of them paying us for lessons, they gave us two days of their work and we gave them three days event at the bench instruction. And that meant all five or all five, uh, six of the students for five days alongside of us, we were all working together, mm-hmm. working side by side. And it made it so special. Yeah, it really um, did. We think about our students, um, those six, uh, so much and, uh, so I was just thinking, you know, like the, the work exchange part of it, the first two days, um, we were working on some granite blocks for a foundation. Uh, we were weeding in the garden. We were yeah. chopping some mortises and some timber frame work I had to do. We were doing all this miscellaneous stuff. Um, and we all have uh, so many rich memories uh, as a result of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's much more rewarding than just someone paying the class fee and then yeah right. they and disappear it's and amazing to see a team of well you know eight people and yeah. how quickly things can get done yeah um you know like a packing party is 30 people and we say wow those piles of magazines just got sent out the door so fast um but to have a team of eight people you know laying um foundation blocks and we were talking about boy you know do you think that that two days is enough time to do this and 
it, yeah, <laughs> basically it was done in a day and some, uh, even with some great difficulties like uh, Tino's boulder, which showed yeah, up as Tino, he was digging for, he was yeah. digging for the, you know, the, the central um, foundation block. And he started digging, and he's like, oh, there's a, another rock here. So he started digging, and it basically, as far as we know, this rock could be the size of a house. And we've never seen the entire thing, so we had to go and borrow a hammer drill and some feathers and wedges and split the rock to bits so yeah. that we could get down. And then Hugo, our yeah. good friend Hugo, was uh, was there. He had his, he had a big sledge, and this man is a machine. Yeah. He's so ripped. <laughs> And um, he was just wailing on yeah. that rock. So we had feathers and wedges, and he's just like, uh, I've never seen a man in a kilt more aggressive and no, focused on no, destroying a rock. No, not since the days of William Wallace has That's a great. man in a kilt been... Yeah. It was awesome. It was, it was pretty cool. So, yeah, just that um, facing uh, these hurdles as a team together and saying, well, what in the world are we going to do now? Yeah. Um, that was cool. But also yeah. the students had their own projects. Yeah. We had six students and six, six different, different projects. Not only six different projects, but six different types of projects. Mm. Yeah. We had a, a green woodworking chair yeah. uh, project. We had um, a table someone was making. We had a picture frame mm. with molding. Uh, we had a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. Um, and then one of the projects I thought was... Um, I didn't expect this would be brought to us. I thought, you know, dovetails or joinery or something. But one of our students, Cameron, um, he wanted to build uh, the, a reproduction of uh, Thoreau's writing desk. Yeah. Uh, this Simple pine, pine desk. desk. Yeah, good old Maine vernacular furniture from the mid-19th century. Yeah. And so I said, sure, that sounds great. He had some documentation of the original desk and... I said Maine. I meant Massachusetts. I shouldn't let that slip. Maine, Mainers don't like to admit that we were part of Massachusetts until 1820. So, <laughs> sorry, fellow Mainers. Um, but yeah, so Cameron's project—it um, wasn't just about the desk. Actually, he left the desk behind, and it's in my my kids' room. Um, but the desk was uh, sort of a prototype for a. He wants to build a few more of them. He actually, he is, as we speak, building more. Yeah. With uh, He teaches at a private school, uh, private girls' school, and they're all building. Um, so th- basically what Cameron's vision is, is to take uh, historic literature and see how it uh, speaks to craftsmanship. So they're they're reading Thoreau. Mm-hmm. They're building Thoreau's desk. And so mm-hmm. he's he's teaching his students to to do hand tool woodworking. Right. Um, and he's been texting Mike and me pictures yeah. of, the, the, of these girls working and they're yeah. just so pumped about it. Yeah. It sounds like such an awesome time. He has what? 60 students. I, Is that I the number? Know. I don't know. I feel like it's yeah. that number. Cameron, correct us if I'm wrong, but you know, <laughs> several different desks going on and they're rotating through. And he said that the enthusiasm is just through the roof and, uh, <laughs> it's just That's awesome. Great. Yeah. So, um, you know, just combining all those things, that is such a great way to learn, such a yeah. hands-on mm-hmm. way to learn, um, not just about literature, but, um, you know, learning about the very desk that that literature was written on and, yeah. and uh, all that um, period significance. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was cool to be a part of and to have Cameron. He actually was able to almost complete his project while he was here, right? Mm-hmm. Does the desk have a bottom yet? 
It or, does. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. It, he got it painted, but there was no bottom in it while he was here. So. You but that's just so you can have and, a lot of books. Yeah, that plenty go of storage room underneath. You can dig a hole under it and have even more. Uh, so our summer workshop was really a great success, and we are excited about next year and the workshops that we're going to be doing around here. Yep. Yeah. Uh, again, stay tuned for more about that. Uh, and all that leads to the culminating big project of the summer. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Have you caught up on your sleep yet, Joshua? It doesn't sound like it. Not quite. Um, <clears throat> the, the biggest thing that we have done. Ever. Ever. Um, <laughs> so at the end of August, we had a, an international group of traditional carpenters, timber framers, the Charpentier Sans Frontier, or Carpenters Without Borders, uh, came in um, 30, 40, 50 people at times for meals, right? Yeah, 50 Mm. people for meals. 50 people. Um, And they, starting from the logs, which had been uh, harvested with uh, horse logging, uh, hewed and raised a blacksmith shop right here, Uh, less than 100 feet away from where (laughs) we're sitting, um, in eight days of work and uh so the logistics of that project the the food the lodging uh, materials and anything else like that um joshua and julia and grace and me and others (laughs) uh were juggling for you know a kind of protracted period of time while that work was happening um it was intense and incredible yeah i i I think those are the two words that kind of sum it up for me yeah totally well and um this group um if you read issue four will lissack wrote an article about his trip to romania with this group and that was that was our introduction to csf Mm -hmm. um and their work and i remember mike and i were just floored yeah we were blown away our jaws were on the floor saying oh my goodness this group is incredible we t- we had said wow maybe someday we could get to go on one of these trips with this group wouldn't, wouldn't that, that be, be uh, crazy just, just to <laughs> experience that yeah. yeah so very long story short uh they csf wanted to do a project in the u.s and so um we were going will reached out to us and we went back and forth they um didn't have anything immediately in mind and we had visions to build a small blacksmith shop and like a blacksmith shed, really. Shed. Like a roof for a forge. Yeah, that's pretty much what, what we, were we had planning on doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, th- 35 carpenters from around the world uh, said, yeah, we're going to fly out to your place and build you a blacksmith shop. Yeah. Um, and so it was cool because it, the project, um, if you haven't read issue four, CSF is a hand tool only timber framing group. So the, um, we didn't use machines for this build at all. Um and so it's just really inspiring to be able to see um, when we picked up um, the international team. We uh, the, the next morning when we were at the meeting, uh, Will Gusikov, who is the American lead uh, team lead for the project, uh, he was speaking to the group um, and he said, "You know, hey everybody, I know you have jet lag. You've been traveling for twenty four hours. Just take it easy, just relax. Today's about just." acclimating to the job site and getting things ready and communication and 
Don't worry about doing work. If you want to, that's fine, but just take it easy. Mm. And they basically just walked straight out the door and grabbed yep. their axes and started <laughs> yeah. hewing so those logs. Morning was, like, the morning of that day was spent there as sharpening. Yeah. And yeah. right after lunch, we started hearing the thunk of the axes on yep. the logs. And the the rate of progress was ridiculous. I mean, it yeah. seemed like every time we were turning around, another timber was squared on four unreal. sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, Joshua, you mentioned, you know, they're, they're just hand tool only and historic tools. Uh, so <laughs> Gustav <laughs> wouldn't even use a saw because that's new technology. And I'm talking a hand saw. He did everything with an axe, including like cutting cutting a tenon to length when he had to remove half an inch from the end of it, a big timber tenon. He did everything with an axe. And it was <laughs> mind-blowing to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible accuracy. You know, I can split firewood pretty well. I don't miss <laughs> the log, right? And I usually hit it down the middle. That's pretty but good. He, <laughs> he is right on, like, cutting, cutting tenon shoulders dead on the line you know every time super accurate and super fast and uh you know i'm just talking about gustav because you know he doesn't he won't even touch a saw if he can get away with it but (laughs) others the the skill on display was just yeah incredible um and uh joshua and i knew that that our roles for this were going to be support like we weren't going to be down there much if at all hewing or anything like that um we did get some time doing those things and that was great um but it was mostly like doing beer runs or uh, or, you know like ferrying people back and forth to the houses and um it was it was really an awesome time yeah it it was intense it was we had 35 carpenters 50 people at every meal so um my wife Julia and I we uh, we rented these two houses to to put them up in, and we fed them three meals a day for like eleven days. Um, and this is these are people doing physical labor. Mm-hmm. It was just yeah. unreal. Um, and so what was going on on the job site with all the carpentry was only one little slice of it. Yeah, there were it was probably you know maybe almost close to the same amount of number of people behind the scenes doing various things. Um, in the kitchen alone, yeah, was yeah. just I the one day I was I forget what I was doing. I was running over to grab something from your barn, and Grace had just pulled in, and she popped the trunk of her jeep, <laughs> and it was like stuffed full of produce from all the she had done like the all morning the farm, farm run. Yeah. So yeah. she had like boxes of of you know lettuce and greens and tomatoes and yeah and all boxes kinds of stuff in the kids' car seats. Yeah, and... just loaded yeah. with with <laughs> organic produce totally from loaded. from area farms. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so your your entryway in your house was like converted to a staging area. You put up how yeah. what were those like twenty foot benches? Yeah. On the one side, <laughs> yeah. and then um, bread making station. So this this group wherever they go, they have a baker who travels with them. Uh, our our friend do. Kinga, mm-hmm. yeah. And so we uh, Kinga is amazing, and she knows exactly what's needed to feed this crew, and uh, exactly how to manage the food output and um and uh she was also able to use the uh outdoor bread oven at a local bakery um at tinder hearth 
which is just a 10 minutes up the road, 15 minutes up the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so they there were a few different baking days throughout the week where they were using that bread oven during um, like off hours for the business and baking lots and lots and lots of bread, which was eaten very, very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, but uh, the event was incredible and um, have a lot of new friendships as a result. And um, you may or may not see uh, something about this project in issue eight. I'm not going <laughs> to say any more than that. Wow, that was a really subtle. Hint. Yeah, I said may or may not, which <laughs> allows for any possibility. <laughs> but um, after... After the crew left, um, uh, Joshua and I got the building sheathed and uh, tar-papered for winter. We're looking at traditional roofing options for it, which um, I feel pretty good about the way it stands now. Mm -hmm. It'll make it through the winter, the snow will stay out, and then next spring we can look at at roofing it and outfitting it, getting a, a forge set up. We have our our little dirt box forge sitting out there. <laughs> the space is uh, way too big and nice for the little dirt box, but yeah. it it'll it'll suffice until we get something uh, something better, bigger and better. And we have a few a few things for the uh, the shop. Um, mm. our, our friend Harry Brian gave us a, a six foot bellows. Yeah, double chamber bellows. Uh, big, amazing. Well, what was the company in in England? Uh, Some... Alway and Onions. Alway and Onion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, big, beautiful set of bellows that uh, right now is hanging downstairs in the shop. But we will be moving it over um, to the blacksmith shop after we do a few little repairs to it and get it going. Yeah. So. So yeah, it's a. Um, the space is is beautiful it's you know it's all hand hewn so it's just the the look of it is gorgeous um it's uh 16 by 25 is the final dimension um it has a knee wall upstairs so we have a totally usable second floor as well um and it's just a very inspiring space to be in yeah every rafter tail has an an individual carving from you know someone on the team had some some symbol Mm -hmm. or some image that was important to them um, above the door inside uh, the the front door is a beautiful carving with a um, someone hewing with an axe and it says CSF 2019 yeah. and uh, it's it's just gorgeous you can just stand in there and stare at everything yeah. what's really neat about it is um, you know so many different hands were working on on that structure and on some of the timbers you can see how different individuals were using different tools there you know everyone had their favorite axe and everyone's favorite axe was the best axe there (laughs) and there's lots of conversation about that so there's some people using you know a a german pattern axe what we'd call like a goose wing here in in the u.s and others were using the old 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 traditional french style axes and they'd be you know there's some banter back and forth about whose was better (laughs) but you can see those marks on the timbers as these two individuals are are like arguing in a nice way about whose axes are better and they're hewing together and you can see the delineation where you know one hewer stopped and the other started on the other end of the timber and it's just really amazing i mean there's so many uh, memories built in to that building so we are uh, looking forward to the the future use of it and uh having some educational value as well as practical value and making 
tools and you know nails and whatever else <laughs> we might need yeah yeah um i think the the thing that um really stands out to me about the project itself is that um the goal of the project was cultural exchange mm. it was all about um different people from around the world you know it's, it's carpenters without borders <laughs> that's the point is right. that it's people yeah. coming together to learn from each other um and so um the the frame really is sort of a memorial to that exchange we had for eight days plus a day of raising um and so you know you it was basically a New England style timber frame because the Europeans wanted to learn American timber framing with square rule, uh, joinery layout. Um, but, uh, the design also included some, some curvy pieces for the braces mm. so that the, the French team could teach the Americans how to do scribe rule mm. using a plumb bob. It's very, <laughs> we it's found, magic. we found that it's very hard to explain <laughs> yeah. in words because yeah. we've all tried to explain it, but it's, so obvious in person, but essentially you you assemble the whole bench, the whole wall together, and you level it. So it's laying down. So it's plumb. Its, yeah. yeah. So it's laying down the ground, but plumb. Uh, and then you use the plumb bob to uh, when you you lay a timber across the opposite one it's supposed to mate into, and you lay a plumb bob down and mark the the difference. Because the the whole idea is you can't pretend like these timbers are perfectly square. Right. If you assume that they're perfectly flat and square, and you just cut joinery on it, assuming that that's the case, obviously these are hand-hewn. They're not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you, if you want a tight shoulder all the way around on something that's not square, you have to scribe it. You have to mark. It tapers from quarter of an inch over here down to nothing, or you know, some right. maybe three quarters of an inch uh, down to nothing. Um, and so that way you can mark that that difference, and then you can transfer that. So. The the frame itself is a is a picture of this cultural exchange, uh, which is so cool. But I know that was also happening in the kitchen too. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was really incredible to see. Just um, I, I still I definitely picked up some tips from <laughs> from cooking for an yes, army. Cooking, tips. Yeah, yeah. Well, tips and just ideas for adding certain things to certain dishes that you never would have thought of. Just the way that you know, we're all standing there, one person's making a chili and the other person's saying, oh, you know, we should add this or we should add that. And then, you know, by the time we're done, everybody's added their little piece <laughs> of something that they love in their chili and it, you taste it and it's just wow. incredible. So yeah. having those experiences was just, it really was just amazing. Um, and just picking up tips from each other and really putting our heads down and getting it done you know it was a lot of food to put out and a lot of just coordination in general from start to finish um yeah but then to see everyone you know set up and see everybody just that again that camaraderie just everybody all together in the same place eating and and just after a hard day's work it was just really an incredible thing yeah not really words for it. Right. But. I mean, exactly. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's how we, we kind of feel about it. Just, you know, the words fail us to describe that experience. Yeah. And, um, you know, some of the, every evening after dinner, uh, we'd have a different presentation. Uh, so um, these carpenters would share projects that they've been involved in or that they've taken on around the world. And, Something that that struck me as I, you know, each evening would would learn something new about these these um, these workers, these these skilled craftsmen and women, 
is each one of these people could probably lead this project. Yeah. Mm. Each one of these people is skilled and knowledgeable and knows exactly what needs done. But there were there were no egos here. There were there was not a power struggle. There was not any sense of you know one upmanship or anything like that. Right. Everyone was here at just enjoying the project, enjoying their tasks, and there there's no squabbling about who's in charge and who who right. needs to say what and do what and um so it it was uh just amazing to see. And then one of the um the last nights of the project we had a local contra band. Is that mm-hmm. the yep. contraband in? <laughs> local contraband that's not what i mean you know music contra yeah. dance anyway uh and we had um you know dancing away in the the shop downstairs yeah. it was just ridiculous fun so much fun yeah. you know kids running around and dancing and everybody was working up a sweat and uh it was great so awesome. We set up the tables in the sh- in the new shop. Yeah, and ate out there. Yeah, and... yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking about the contradancing thing because um, <laughs> I'm right now reading a book by a guy named Richard Gregg. Uh, it's called The Power of Nonviolence. Yeah, and he's he inspired ta- Bill Copperthwaite. Yeah, quite a bit. Um, and so Richard Gregg is talking about so the the book's about the power of nonviolence that it's not um, passivity, but that it's a it's a unifying force to to stop evil. So uh, he's talking about ways to work with other people to get unity. How, mm-hmm. how can we develop a society and a culture that we're getting closer and closer to one another? Yeah. And he says, these are, <laughs> these are some practical, <laughs> concrete things. He says, uh, sing together. Uh-huh. Yep. Start singing together. Yeah. And he says, dance together. Do Whoa, folk dancing, yeah. like contra That's dancing. Awesome. So you're yeah. all working together. I thought, that is the weirdest thing to read in a book about, you know, uh, basically a political resistance. activism yeah. kind of perspective. But I think that really was a, uh, a great picture because, in my mind, it connected because um, here we are, all these people without borders, people from around the world that did all this together, dancing our hearts out to, to our local traditional music. <laughs> um, and the caller is saying, okay, now turn around, left to right, and around a circle, and, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. And everybody is just laughing and singing and having such a great time. And in the midst of that whole dance thing, um, we kind of had a break. And Francois, uh, he's the Francois Kalam is the guy who uh, came put CSF together. Um, he took some time to talk to us about the beauty of this project and what it meant to him and what it has meant to all of us. Um, and he talked about um, the axe and how this axe, you know, the whole project, everybody was talking about axes the whole time. Yeah. It's like these people are obsessed with axes. And he was talking about the axe and how it's such a powerful tool, um, not only to accomplish building a building together in, you know, less than a week or in a week uh, building a building, but also it's it's a tool to forge these these bonds and these relationships. And he, called, he said this is, this is not a, a weapon of uh, mass destruction. It's a weapon of mass construction. Mm. <laughs> you know, that was the picture <laughs> that was brought forth. And it, so he was saying that this is a tool for construction, for constructing relationships and bonds. Um, and it was just a really touching thing. Francois gifted us uh, uh, this 19th century French axe um, as a picture of this uh, relationship we have. 
And I think for us, that was really like what this whole project was about. It was yeah. about learning from other people, learning another culture. Um, although we live in New England and love um, New England furniture, our vision for M&T is way beyond New England borders. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's without borders. And I think that's why we wanted to work with this team because mm. they have the same vision to uh, preserve cultural heritage around the world, the diversity of uh, craftsmanship throughout history. Um, and so we're very excited to get this space set up, um, to get our forge in there and to start bringing all the stuff we've been doing with woodworking, uh, dipping our toes into blacksmithing and starting to make yeah. hinges and fasteners and uh, tools and all these different things um, to complement that. So uh, we're just so excited and we feel so blessed to be gifted these friendships and yeah. these memories. Um, and so we're excited to be able to, to share it with you all too. Um, we have, uh, we're working on a few different projects right now. Um, and one of the projects, uh, my, my brother, Sam Klein is a filmmaker. He's living in New York city and he was out here filming all of this. And so he has been working nonstop since then. Uh, since August to put together a documentary all about this project. Um, he's interviewed a bunch of the carpenters there um, and captured some really, really up close, like intimate shots of the tools and the way they work and stuff. It's, it's honestly footage I've never seen before. Yeah. Um, and in a pretty unique project, I know he was just blown away uh, mm. with what was going on. Um, so the documentary is uh, underway. It's very far along, um, and I am working on the book version of it. I'm writing about the project, um, and there were so many takeaways, so I'm, I'm using the opportunity to talk about the value of this kind of uh, work in the 21st century. The working title for the book is Another Work is Possible, um, that it is possible to build a building with hand tools. It's, it's possible to build your own furniture with hand tools. Um, and it, when, when your primary drive is, is not economic or you're trying to make a factory or trying to, you know, make as much as possible, uh, for sale, but if your goal is just to do it because you love it, hmm. it is totally possible. People yeah. can learn to use simple tools to make beautiful things. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and this project was just so perfectly captured that picture. Um, so we're really excited to be able to, to share this project, what we experienced between the film and the book. They, they're both presenting very different um, perspectives or, or angles on what we experienced. And the two of them together are quite a compliment, I think, um, that I, I really think our, our readers and viewers will be able to have a pretty strong sense of who these people are. Yeah. yeah. How funny Luik is. <laughs> yeah. Our friend Luik, he, he's so awesome. He's the best. He cracks us up, and he's just, he's the life of the party. And if he's not holding a peace sign up in a picture, yeah. like, oh, no, you're right, man. We, we taught Luik some special, you know, American, especially Maine-centric phrases, uh, like driver MacGyver. Don't know if you've ever heard that one, if you're not from Maine. Uh, different things like that, which are really essential for a proper cultural exchange. Um, yeah. So, Yeah. Stuff like that it just made made the whole the whole time just really special, mm. and um, we will never forget it. And uh, we all have definitely had uh, plenty of time to to catch up on the rest that we did not get that week. 
and um it's worth it yeah <laughs> totally worth it um so other things coming up in the pipeline um as your brother's working on the video for uh the CSF project, I've been working on uh, editing and doing some uh, final um, videography for our next uh, apprenticeship video. And this one is a focus on green woodworking. A lot of it is outside and we've been filming it through different seasons. So we have, um, you know, shots with snow on the ground and shots with the leaves falling and shots with the leaves just coming out and the the spring wildflowers so um it's quite varied you know and it's it's been an interesting challenge uh, for us in uh filming in such a dynamic environment usually you know <laughs> we are usually filming at the bench so um it's funny i'm i'm learning how to like uh uh do the audio filtering for the mosquitoes, which like to buzz around the microphone. And, <laughs> you know, that's uh, kind of bothersome. Uh, so we'll try and eliminate that. But some of it will remain, and that'll be, you know, good authentic experience if you're in yeah. the main woods harvesting spruce root. You're going to yeah. be getting some bug bites. Yeah, and I can actually Definitely. right now picture our six students swatting their arms. Yes, <laughs> yes. It was great to introduce them to Maine's state bird, the, the mosquito. Um, we had quite a few good conversations about that. And then, uh, at the CSF project, our friend Will brought his custom, amazingly effective bug dope along that the first night when we were all gathered for a presentation, we're like, is something on fire? Something's burning. And we started like looking around to make sure there wasn't some like some, you know, smoldering, cigarette butt burning in the corner of the building (laughs) we realized that was the bug dope it's a uh this apparently very effective birch tar concoction uh that (laughs) i think at one point will told me he doesn't think he's gotten a bug bite since he's been wearing that stuff which is quite a testament to the effectiveness of of birch tar yeah, they were all joking, and I think even Will was joking about how it's such an effective repellent that even humans won't go near it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Every living thing just avoids it. Uh, so the that's uh, oh yeah, and we also have issue eight. Yeah. Under as as always, you know, the next issue is going to be the best one yet, and I I'm excited about this next one. We already have two of the authors' uh, manuscripts articles rough articles back in yeah they're great we've already resolved to not talk about the articles but there's one in particular that i'm (laughs) so tempted to talk about yeah you can't don't do it don't do it you could you could like abbreviate or use like a clever acronym or something hb Ooh, yeah (laughs) i know about that one it's gonna be good it's gonna be good uh so that has been the last few months here at M&T yeah. and the upcoming few months. Yeah, yeah. basically, I mean, Mike is uh, focused on editing this video. I'm writing a book, and my brother Sam is doing this documentary, um, and Grace is holding it all together. So. That's right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're just, we. I mean, basically, all these projects we had this summer totally overshadowed everything else, and we just kind of stopped everything we were doing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And now we're saying, okay, we yeah. got to get this stuff done. So, so I I will say because this is this is uh, amazing to me to reflect on that we sent issue seven off to the printer uh, a couple hours before the first carpenters arrived. I think it was an hour, yeah. but one hour. It could have been two hours. Uh, so that's that's just how tight everything was uh, in the past <laughs> few months, and we were you know, doing editing and bouncing articles back around with, with Megan and with Jim and, and, and trying to bring me on board at the right? same time. Yep. And, <laughs> uh, it all came together in an amazing way. So yeah. we're looking forward to wrapping up these projects and, uh, seeing what comes next. Snow. Snow, Snow is that right is... around the corner. Yep. That's what we want next. Yeah. We're going to be just socked in snow and a nice, quiet winter with reflection and reading and study. and Yeah, that sounds Sounds good. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you for listening to the Mortis and Tenon podcast. Uh, If you haven't already, you can subscribe at iTunes and Stitcher, uh, wherever else. Uh, If you have any comments or questions about uh, the gibberish that we provided for you (laughs) over this last hour... Uh, you can leave them below or email Grace. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and tell her all about it. So thank you for listening. Thanks. Thanks.